Last March, when Pastor Don started us off on this study of 1 Peter, he said this, 1 Peter is a travel guide for an elect exile in this world. Now, guidebooks are written to give warnings and recommendations. For example, you might have a guidebook to Yosemite National Park, and if you open up the first page, it will probably be a big warning, say, don't feed the bears. And if you flip through a few more pages, you probably see something like, be sure and see Old Faithful before you leave. As we have seen over these past three chapters of First Peter, we've seen a lot of good instructions for our lives. We've seen both do's and don'ts. And this morning, we're going to begin chapter four. And the same pattern continues here as Peter gives us some very clear and insightful instructions about living in the Spirit and serving God in the last days. So let's pray, and then we'll look into the Word. Father, I ask this morning that you would just give me the words to say, the thoughts to express regarding this scripture. And I pray, Lord, that all of our hearts would be open. The promise I'm clinging to this morning, Lord, is that you say your word will not return void. That means that everybody within the sound of my voice this morning will be able to get something out of the word that is shared. So I ask you to bless our time together, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Now, I didn't have a title for this series, but I do have what I think is a big idea, if they'll put that up on the screen. And the big idea is living in the Spirit will enable us to serve God in the short time we have in this world. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11 is divided into two sections. The first one is verses 1 through 6, and then 7 through 11. The first part talks about living in the Spirit, and the second half talks about serving God. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you'll bring up those first six verses. And I want to do something a little different this morning. Uh, in the church that I grew up in, in Island Pond, Vermont, we did this every Sunday morning. And we did it a few times in the church that I pastored in Dover Plains, and there's been a couple of occasions here. It's called responsive reading. And so I'd like you to join me in reading verses one through six. I'll read verse one, you can read two, I'll read three, you read four, and so forth. So let's go ahead and, and read. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You get an A. That was great. 
Okay, in verse 1, we see that Christ is our example. He suffered for us. Of course, his suffering was way more than we will ever suffer. And his suffering was also done willingly for a specific purpose. It was to do what was right and to please God. And here we are told to arm ourselves as warriors with this same attitude. Now that implies several things. First, it implies that we are in a war. The Christian life is not a pleasure cruise. It's not a lazy river ride. It is a battle. It is a battle against evil. Now, in order to win a war, you have to approach it with the right mentality and you have to take it seriously. Most of the time, if an army just goes into battle thinking that the victory is going to be easy, they will lose. But here we are told that the right attitude can be a weapon. We normally wouldn't consider that our attitude is a weapon, but it is. For example, God can use our attitude as a testimony to touch those lost for Christ. He can use it to bring glory to him and to turn back evil. We are not to be passive. We are to be proactive in deciding how we will react if we do face persecution and suffering for Christ. We need to be both mentally and spiritually prepared. If we're not mentally prepared to face suffering, then perhaps we will not respond in a positive manner. Next slide, please. Romans chapter five, verses three to five says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The right attitude can actually lead us to glory or rejoicing in our sufferings because we have determined to focus on God in the midst of the suffering and not on the circumstances that caused it. Back to verse one, because it also makes a connection between suffering and being saved. We know that Peter is writing this letter to believers, and this means that suffering in the flesh is a sign that we are saved. Now, when the saved die, we will have no more sin. Being in Christ means that one day we will be totally free from sin. However, here, it seems that he is referring to a more immediate freedom from the bondage of sin. So that means that suffering on this earth now helps us to overcome sin now. Suffering can act as a purifying force. How? Because it helps us focus more on God. It protects us from complacency. It increases our dependence on God. And it reminds us that the world is temporary and therefore we must not love the world or the things in it. It does not mean that we do not sin, but it does infer that we do not sin intentionally and that we are no longer living to satisfy human desires, but instead are looking to live the rest of our lives seeking to do the will and purposes of God 
in our lives. Slide, please. Wayne Grudem says this, whoever has suffered for doing right and has still gone on obeying God in spite of the suffering it involved has made a clear break with sin. If we look at verse two, this is what it actually says in plain English. As a result of having this attitude towards suffering, a person will want to do what God wants them to do, and while they live in a body of flesh, they will not want to do the bad things that people often want to do. Slide, please. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Another way of saying it is, is to think of suffering as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting your own way. Then you will be able to live out your remaining days on this earth free to pursue what God wants instead of being controlled by what you want. Slide, please. Charles Spurgeon said this, I beg you to remember that there is no getting quit of sin. There is no escaping its power except by contact and union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide. Verse 2. We should note here the phrase in verse 2, for the rest of time, because God has appointed each of us some further days on this earth, and we should carefully consider how we're going to spend them. Now verses 3 through 6 are a synopsis of our past lives. Peter reminds his readers that they have already experienced living in the flesh and what that has to offer. He says that we've already put in our time living a God-ignorant life. He describes a number of the works of the flesh, including debauchery, evil desires, drunkenness, carousing, drinking, and idolatries. But this only lists a few of the many works of the flesh. These, like all temptations, always promise much more than they can deliver. Before coming to Christ, we have already experienced these types of sins. And what happened? They disappointed us. They left us feeling empty. They left us feeling guilty. Or they left us feeling lonely or discouraged or just plain miserable. And Peter says, now it is time, he says, to be done with it for good. Sadly, though, there are some Christians who think that they haven't spent enough time doing the will of the ungodly, and they want to experience more of the world before they make a full commitment to godliness. But this can be a tragic mistake and can lead to a terrible loss of blessings from God. In Proverbs, this would be compared to a dog returning to his vomit. And that is what going back to our previous way of life is like. It's a disgusting image. And that is disgusting if a believer gets pulled back into his former life because we are to be different now. Next slide. Romans 8.8 says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
Now in verse 4, if we go back to that, it says, of course, if you don't go back to these temptations, your old friends, your drinking buddies, uh, your sin partners, they'll be surprised. In fact, they'll try to pressure you to give in, and if you don't, they'll vilify or malign you. Sometimes they'll even make fun of you, and they may use titles like, oh, you're a know-it-all, or a goody-two-shoes, or Mr. Perfect, or stuck in the mud. I've even heard party pooper. They want to make you feel narrow-minded, judgmental, and boring, prudish, and dull. Next slide. No, I'm sorry. Go back. Peter says, don't give in to their peer pressure. In verse 5, Peter reminds his readers that every person will have to give an account for his actions. God sees the evil that they are doing, and they will have to answer to God for that. Each of us is responsible for our own actions. Your parents' faith will not vindicate you when you face God. Neither will your family's members' sins condemn you. And that is why God's judgment is perfect and just. Whenever we are considering the temptations of this world, we need to remember that God is watching and he will record what you do and you will have to explain your actions to him on one day. And on that day, no one will be able to withstand this judgment. That's why the gospel was preached. Some believers were now dead when Peter wrote this epistle, but they could live spiritually because they accepted the gospel message when they were alive. And although people around them may have made fun of them or laughed at them and pressured them, those that held fast to the gospel when they faced this judgment were declared innocent because they had accepted Christ's sacrifice for them. So we really have two choices, don't we? We can please the people around us, We can become miserable and guilty as we join in with them, or we can please God. We can say no to these temptations and pressures. The people around us, they may vilify us, but God will be pleased. Before we leave this last, this portion of scripture, verse six, I want you to take notes of the words in verse six, where it says that the gospel was preached even to those who are dead because there's been a few different ideas as to the meaning of this phrase. But I think the best rendering of this is explained by looking at the parable of the prodigal son, where the word for dead is identical to the word dead here in our text today. Next slide. In Luke 15:24, the word says this, for my son, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So based on the context of 1 Peter 4, where Peter is talking about those people outside the family of God who were lost in sin or dead, it appears that death here simply means a spiritual death or being dead in relation to the family of God. Now, let's look at verses 7 through 11. And you did such a great job on the responsive reading. Let's do it again. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the second portion of this scripture is talking about serving God in the short time that we have in this world. None of us have any idea how much time we have left on this planet. Peter tells us that the end of all things is near. But near is clearly a relative term. Jesus' first coming ushered in the last days, which last from his first to his second coming. So we are in the end times. To God, though, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Therefore, the last days could last quite a while. But one thing is certain, and that is that we are almost 2,000 years closer than Peter and his readers were. So keeping that in mind, we now look at Peter's instructions for how we are to behave as children of God in these days. Verse 7 talks about our attitude towards prayer. We are to be serious about prayer. We are to be watchful in our prayers, looking for the return of Jesus. One scholar put it this way, he said, be wide awake in prayer. Next slide, please. The Amplified Bible says this, be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to him. And Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for, the Lord's, for all the Lord's people. Now, sadly, one thing that my son-in-law, Adam, has told me is that most churches have given up on having prayer meetings anymore simply because the people don't want to come out and pray. But here is Peter urging us to consider our prayer lives, especially as we approach the return of Jesus Christ, just the opposite of what is happening in so many churches around the world. But even more, it should be a priority for us as individuals to be more serious about praying. Slide. Two things are mentioned here in verse 7 that will help us in our attitude towards prayer. First, it says we are to be self-controlled. This simply means being able to do what is right without being told to. It means that we are to we learn to respond to the urging of the Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us in our daily walk with God and do not succumb to our earthly and fleshly desires. It also says to be sober-minded. <laughs> now, I like a good joke as much as the next person. I enjoy Pastor George's sense of humor. Where is he? But I believe you can be like that and still be sober-minded knowing what to take lightly and what to take be serious about. I've always believed 
what Proverbs 11.1 1 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So here we are warned not to be unbalanced in our prayer lives, but to discern when to be sober-minded. Now verse 8 talks about, above all things, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I was reading this portion of scripture and looking at it, and I was saying, boy, this, that one verse could be a whole message, but I'm going to keep it short to five things I want you to think about love. Number one, love each other as if your life depended on it. Remember that love makes up for practically anything. Number three, love overlooks unkindness. Number four, love unselfishly seeks the best for others. And number five, love forgives any wrongdoings against you. Slide, please. I loved what Wayne Grudem has to say about this. This is what he says. Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts. And it's all done to Satan's perverse delight. We need to be fervent and unfailing in our love for one another. To earnestly love means that our desire to share love, God's love literally burns within us. It is eager to share that love and committed to be passionate to do so. We do it wholeheartedly without reservation. We can never allow it to grow cold. We cannot love others out of habit. We don't want to become complacent. We need to always be thinking this, what more can I do and how could I love better? It should be exciting for us when we have opportunities to share Christ's love to the people around us. Next slide. Verse 9 talks about showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. So my question to you is this, do we intentionally show hospitality to the people around us? We should because this is another opportunity to show Christ's love. Every time we can open our home to others and share with them a meal or a time of fellowship and do it joyously without grumbling or complaining, that is a display of the gift of hospitality. If we have that opportunity, we should jump at it and not hold back or complain about it. In other words, don't have a house guest and then complain about how long they stayed or how much they ate or the mess that they made. Instead, be a servant and just really make them feel at home. I found out that this is where deep personal relationships and fellowships can be born and nurtured. This is where we can really show the love of God on a personal level. Could be a formal dinner, could be a backyard barbecue, or just a cup of coffee 
But love always shows itself in hospitality. If the worship team would come up and join me, I'd appreciate that. Verse 10 speak is, uh, talks about using our gifts to serve one another. Slide, please. Romans 12, 6 through 8 says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So let me ask you a question here. Are you involved in a ministry here at Grace? If you are, great. But maybe you're seeking out opportunities to serve others and have not yet found your place. Sometimes we hesitate because we're not sure if we have a particular gift or not. I don't think it's so important to spend a lot of time trying to figure out our gift. Instead, just start serving. Find some place where you can do something. And as you serve, you will naturally fit into the kind of ministry that best suits your needs. Also, gifts need to be developed. You might be a great teacher, for example, but you still need to prepare and practice. You might be good at singing like our worship team here, but you notice how they come and practice. It's the same as natural talents. No matter how talented someone is, practice and discipline can make them better. So now Peter comes to the last verse, the conclusion of these 11 verses. And what has been the purpose in giving these warnings about not reverting to our former ways and why has he encouraged us regarding our gifts and the use of them? Well, it's stated very clear and plainly here in verse 11. He says that in order that. And that could be so that in all things or so that to him, so that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. That's the whole reason for the previous 10 verses, to make us aware that we may be cognizant, that we have the proper instructions and the right attitude so that our goal is always to be led by the Holy Spirit so that everything we do or do not do is designed to give glory and honor to God because we have the life of Jesus Christ within us. If we're able to live like this and openly give credit to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then our testimony will be that God is great, that God is good, and that God deserves all the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to close with this. We know that this was written to believers. There may be some people in here this morning, one or two, I don't know, who haven't fully committed their life to Jesus Christ yet. 
Maybe you heard something in the message that touched your heart, or maybe you've heard something in a previous message, or, or maybe you've been talking with a friend who's a Christian, and you say, you know, I don't know exactly what it is they've got, but it's something I sure would like. Well, I want to urge you this morning that if you haven't fully committed your life to Jesus Christ yet, that you don't wait any longer, that you take the opportunity today, meet one of our pastors after the service, one of our church leaders, somebody that you know, somebody that can help you and show you how you can become a child of God, how that you can have the life of Christ living within you, how you can have the Holy Spirit to help guide you and lead you through all of the difficult times of life and through the joyous times also. So I ask you, please don't wait. Take that action today if you need to. Now let's all stand and join with the worship team.